0: To Bridging Chicago, a podcast that aims to connect our listeners to Chicago's business, community, cultural, and charity leaders. Brought to you by the SATC Solutions Center. You can connect with us on Instagram or Twitter where our handle is at Bridging Chicago. For more information, including our email, visit us online at satcsolutions.com. Be sure to rate and subscribe to Bridging Chicago on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to this podcast.
1: episode, we wrap up our roundtable discussion with the Bridging Chicago team on diversity.
2: Um, I tried to find equivalent statistics for LGBTQ individuals that I was able to find for women percentages and for ethnicity percentages, um, but the research just really isn't there. Um, And I'll say that being queer in the legal profession or just in the world is a really interesting place to be in because, you know, while, you know, you can look at me or even just my name, you know, Savannah Roundtree probably guessed that that's a white girl. <laughs> and, you know, I, you you know, I visibly present present as feminine and, you know, I go out into the world as a woman, but I mean, maybe some people look at me and <laughs> think I was a lesbian, but it's not always um, evident. And it's interesting Um, there's very little statistics on it, but it seems that about two to 3% of, um, lawyers are openly identified as LGBTQ individuals. Um, Mm -hmm. but it is interesting that on the statistics, it's, you have to choose to mark yourself as open. And so it's an interesting level of diversity where you, uh, you know, you do have to come out or decide if you're going to come out to your colleagues. Um, I don't know if you feel similarly to that, Nathan, where it's a sort of an interesting layer of, your pers- of yourself to bring to work.
1: Yeah, uh, it absolutely is. Um, and I had a lot of internal struggle with that, as you can imagine. Um, it's always an interesting layer to to people in general who are LGBTQ+, plus
2: mm-hmm.
1: to have this added thing that has to happen or, or you want to happen. Because I think even people who are not out or not open
2: mm-hmm.
1: about their status or orientation, I think mostly would desire to be. I think we all want to be who we are in our truest self. and and be able to be in the world and exist as a functioning, healthy, um, contributing member of society in our truest selves. Um, and so to do that as a, as a member of the community, you do have to come out and you do have to tell people in your personal lives about this, which is not something that you know even other minority groups have to do necessarily.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, I have people who try and guess all the time what my background is, uh, my ethnicity, because I don't look as Mexican as, as some people. And so they get, they think I'm a lot of other things, but you know, this is like the the one where it's like, okay, there is an added layer of complexity to this because you you do, you know, I wanted people to know who I am and I wanted, pe- I wanted to be able to be me in all areas of my life. Um, And that came in stages. Uh, The best thing in the world for me was getting counseling, going to counseling, which I still do to this day, um, because it helped me to understand, you know, my identity is not wrapped up into one of these things that we've talked about today or the other areas of my life. I am not this one person. I'm a very complex, very sort of uh, involved person. And so... For me, coming out wasn't about telling people who I was, it was telling people one aspect of me. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I didn't want it to be the thing where it was like, okay, now Nathan is gay.
2: Right, that's the thing yeah. is like being queer, is not our whole identity, but right. a lot of times once you come out to people, it can sort of become how you're viewed as your entire identity.
1: And and you can, you can tell because what people often do is they look back on your life and they say, oh, yeah, like that moment, that thing, that, you know, hobby, that makes sense now. And it's like, no, this is not what that's about. It's not about making sense of my pre- past life and who I, you know, you trying to make sense of it. What it really was about for me was, like I said, number one, living into my truest self, but number two, allowing myself to um, to date, to be, you know, to be in a relationship because when you're, when you're not out though, you can do that. It, it, it doesn't feel good. A lot of the times it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel the the same as like when you're just in love and you can just be open about that. It just feels like it feels wrong. It, It felt wrong to me. Let me say it that way. It felt wrong to me because, um, when you're, when you're in a relationship, you want to just be happy with that person and and with your life and with your friends and your family in your life and you can't do that and so I think coming out is an important part of that Um, but then there's also the coming out at work Mm -hmm. which for me happened at two different times some people come out and they're out (laughs) you know yeah they're they're out everywhere and that's great some people come out and they come out in stages they tell their maybe a very close friend or a very close family member first, and then they'll tell more of their family and then they'll tell, you know, all their friends and, you know, whatever, um, which is a little more what it was like for me. Um, but I remember coming out at work and I remember being incredibly nervous because I thought that it would make people, I thought that it would change the way people saw me as an employee, like as a professional, which is, now I understand, like, no one did that. No one thought of, of me any differently, really. Right. And I think um, at our firm, they really appreciated knowing me more,
2: mm-hmm.
1: which was great.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, um, well, I always prefer to know their queer people. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> but. yeah, I mean, it, it is. And, and, and I think people here definitely were, were very, they, they just appreciated that I trusted them and that, you know, they knew me more for who I am. Um, But that isn't true across the board with my experience in the legal field because I've had an experience where people have been talking and they didn't know that I was a part of the conversation either over email or on the phone and, you know, have said something or they have said something to someone else about me and it's like, You know, they 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 don't know how to feel about it or they don't know if they if I'm still the same person or they can still trust me or whatever. And it's like, I am still the same person. I'm just more of that person. Yeah. And that's kind of the way I look at it as like for work, you know, being. Queer LGBTQ plus at work, it doesn't change my ability to do my job. And in fact, what it did was it made me. Do my job better because when I can be more myself,
2: mm-hmm. yeah, I can do have that to worry at work. About, you know, uh, hiding, and you can just do your work.
1: <laughs> right, you can just do your work. You don't have to worry about, am I going to accidentally say boyfriend instead of like partner or they? You know, a lot of times, you know, I would do the whole like, oh, you know, I'm not seeing anyone right now, or like. Yeah. I I went on a date with someone or, you know, the generic Mm -hmm. terms that you use so that you don't like say, you know, male or boyfriend or whatever. Um, just not having to worry about that is like a weight that gets lifted off. And I can absolutely understand why people don't do that. Why people (laughs) don't come out because it is the most difficult thing that I've ever had to do in my life. Um, And it has, it's like once it's out there, it's out there. You can't take it back. Um, And I have had negative interactions with people because of it. Um, Because of the, you know, one of the things that is really interesting for me is one of the things that I really hate is when someone asks me if someone else is gay I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> well, <laughs> Ask them. I don't maybe know. We like... all
2: know each other. We're right? <laughs> all in one big group chat.
1: <laughs> Clearly, and and what they're essentially asking me to do is judge them based off of external factors. Mm-hmm. You know, voice, dress, uh, appearance, like whatever they're asking me. Uh, mannerisms. They're asking me to judge someone based off of those things, and. Um, I'm as different a person as you can be in my hometown. I am an immigrant. I'm Mexican. I was not a, a, like English was not my first language. I'm gay. Like you can't get any more diverse in my hometown than what I am. Um, And yet, like all of those things combined have made me a much stronger person. And they have made me better equipped to be who I am but it was very, very difficult to get there. Mm -hmm. It was very, very difficult to get to where I am today. And it continues to be difficult every day because I don't know that people understand being all those things and especially being gay, because for me, I think people still view being gay as a choice. And so I can't help being, I can't help where I was born. I can't help where I grew up. I can't help, you know, being brown but I think people still assume that I chose to be gay. And I look at that and say, that's the hardest for me to deal with because this is not the choice that I would have made if I could make a choice because it has been so difficult. And it has been, uh, it has provide, it has given me more hurt and more heartache in my life than anything else previous to this. And for me to be able to, you know, look at all that to like repackage that in a healthy way and to like move forward with my life as a, as a mentally healthy, stable, you know, functioning member of society has, it's a lot of work that I do each and every day. Um, and I think that takes away from the fact that like, I didn't choose that. What I choose is to live in this world with that. Mm -hmm. And that means that I've had to deal with some stuff I've been called. I've been called names that I could never would never say on here that you would not want to hear that. I mean, it's it's been very difficult. Yeah. And I think in the legal field, it is very difficult because. Um, because it is a very masculine field mm-hmm. not just in the number of men but even in like just the way that business is done yes. a lot of times when I mean, they say
2: male dominated it's not just that there are physically more men in the room it's that there is like yet, yeah, as you're saying a culture of masculinity and yeah. along with that you know i think more even more than in just like you know the rest of society when you're in the legal profession, it seems like the automatic assumption is that you are straight. And yeah. so you do have to like, I don't really, I never had like a big, like coming out. I just live my life and I slowly, I'm a, a more personal, like a more private person in general. Um, so I, it takes me a little while to, you know, warm up to people, especially coworkers, um, you know, and so, I, but then I just live my life and I, you know, slowly share different parts of it. And mm-hmm. I can tell that there's a, there's always a lot of surprise whenever um, I, you know, eventually quote, you know, come out by, you know, saying something um, that, you know, uh, showcases my lesbianism. <laughs> but, um,
1: yeah. And, and I think um, <laughs> it's interesting, Savannah, because there's even this sort of, I don't wanna say divide, but there, you know, between being a gay and a lesbian, it's like in those two communities, sometimes there's even this little riff or this sort of, you know, I wish that the gay and lesbian community were closer than, than we are. and And I think that sometimes I look at that, and I'm like, why is there this like sort of snarkiness between the two communities sometimes? And maybe it's more like, from gays to lesbians
2: i think uh, well it's definitely there's that older stigmatism but there's been a i mean um in the past few years i think there's been a, a real more sort of a coalescing around the entire lgbtq plus queer community uh, mm-hmm. i mean most of my friends are gay men um i actually struggle to find lesbians in this city because they're all um you know, just having dinner parties with each other, and I'm not invited to those, <laughs> I guess. Um, but I mean, there is definitely that stigmatism. You know, you never know. Um, yeah, even between within the gay community, there's definitely infighting. Um, and it, yeah, it's just all these all these different layers of things we have to bring with us to work that um, you know, not everyone does have to bring with them to work.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's one of those things where. No one that I know that is gay has ever wanted to hide it, Mm -hmm. but we always feel the need to hide it or the necessity to hide it because we're expected to make sure other people are comfortable. I wish that we could just look at it less as this like sort of masculine field and look at it more as individual people who have their own lives, who have their own backgrounds, who have their own selves mm-hmm. that come into here and do a job and um, who try and, you know, take care of our clients the same way as the rest of us. And so for me, it's like if, if we could just bring who we are into work and be able to be successful doing that, that would be great. But there are so many uh, barriers to that,
2: yeah, and unfortunately, it takes not just the work of, you know, marginalized minority individuals. Like, we really do need the help from the whole profession. And, you know, just while I was looking at some statistics, I would like to mention that this goes all the way to the top. Um, some Northwestern uh, professors, I think, Tonya Jacobi and Dylan um, Schuer. Sorry, I can't read my own handwriting. But um, they... Did a study and found that the female justices on the Supreme Court are much more likely to be interrupted than their male colleagues. And in fact, most of the time they're being interrupted, it's by their male colleagues who don't interrupt one another. And so Mm -hmm. it is really fully ingrained in the legal culture. And there's a lot of work to do before we can, you know, break down these barriers of sort of the overt masculinity and it's just unfortunate that in order to do that it really takes um you know those of us in the marginalized communities to be like out and being our best selves while we do it in order to break through those barriers
1: yeah yeah that's that's a really good point and i think that what i hope for for other members of the community who are in the legal field is that they are somewhere where they can, you know, be looked at as an individual person who is skilled enough to do the job that they have, regardless of whatever they, you know, do in their private lives. And, um, and and it's the same. Yeah, it's exactly what you were talking about. It's, it's until we look at each individual person as, Qualified and as um, important, you know.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I think it's always going to be. We always assume that uh, only white men will will automatically be given the benefit of the doubt, mm-hmm. because we have something to prove before we can get that. And I think that's really one of those hurdles that is really difficult to jump over where if, if I got hired on the same day as a white male, it would take me a longer time to get to the same place that he could, because I have to, I have something to prove first. And that is that my status as a gay man, as a Mexican, you know, won't hinder me from doing whatever it is that I was hired to do.
2: Yeah, I would say probably the thing about growing up as, you know, a young queer woman in the South is really what that has given me the most is like an intense drive to prove myself to everyone who said Mm -hmm. I couldn't do it.
1: (laughs) Which is good, is is not a bad Mm -hmm. thing.
2: But I hope for a future where other young women in similar situations could just live their lives free of like, uh, I mean, I don't know if society put this pressure on me or I did or a combination of the two, but I just hope one day it won't be a question.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what kind of binds the minority groups together is that you know, I had this discussion with, with someone uh, a while ago, and I can't remember exactly why we were talking, but it doesn't really matter. But, you know, I, I told them, I said, the thing that drives me crazy, the thing that just blows my mind is that we are having to fight just to be equal. We're not asking for more. Mm-hmm. We're not asking for, you know, to be treated better. But... It's crazy to me that we have to fight just to be treated equal, just to be given the benefit of the doubt, just to be given a place at the table. And it's like, you know, in 2020, it's just crazy to me that people are still saying slang terms for, you know, derogatory terms for people of color, for people in the LGBTQ plus community for non-binary people, for immigrants, you know, it's like, have we? If we haven't learned that you can't say these certain words, mm-hmm. we're we're even further behind than I
2: thought. Yeah, um, I recently was doing um, a lot of research on Ida B. Wells, a suffragist mm-hmm. and Black activist in the nineteen twenties, and it was kind of disheartening to see. You know everything that she faced she was constantly speaking out about racism and misogyny and i mean maybe they said a few more slurs directly to her than they would today but it you know we're not as far as we think we are but again i think if we keep having conversations like this we keep working towards i think now everyone is a lot more aware that there is at least an issue, even if not everyone thinks that there's anything for them personally to do about it. Um, you know, if you're listening to this, there is definitely something you can do in your life to make the world a more diverse and inclusive place, to make your direct surroundings a more um, diverse and inclusive place. It might take a little bit of work, but it's time for everyone to share in this work. Um, Black people, Indigenous people, people of color have been predominantly doing this work for so long and being ignored by white people. And I think it's time that we all realize that we all have a part to do in this. If we want our world to be an equal place for everyone, we all have work to do. Yeah.
0: And I would like to ask both of you: what, you know, what would you tell someone? Um, you know, pe- younger listeners. Um, that might be of the LGBT community, I'm sorry. And then what would you tell them if they're looking to get into the legal field or, you know, in any profession as they're coming up into the workplace? I mean, just do it. I know that I was
2: a lot of times hesitant to come out just because you never know, you can never know how anyone's going to react but it's probably not going to be as bad as you think it's going to be. And, you know, there are queer people everywhere. And so it'll take a little bit more work for you to find a good mentor, but do that, especially all queer people. I I know, I only know one actually open practicing uh, lawyer who is out, but, and I, There was a few other students in my cohort that were out as well. But from what I know of the queer community, if you're looking for a mentor and there's someone you can identify, reach out to them. They're willing to help if you need the help and just be yourself. The only way we're going to get through this is if more of us are out and proud and just living our lives freely, you know, that's all you can hope for.
1: But also add on to that and say, don't be afraid to stand up for yourself and to step up to do what is right. Um, You know, I'm sure that most workplaces have someone there who is responsible for uh, ethical issues, whether it's HR. Here we have uh, an attorney who handles all of our ethics. Um, So if something happens, we know who to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, I would just say, on top of that, number one, I always encourage people to, to do the counseling thing. It's been great for me, and I, you know, I think I think personally, every oh, everyone yeah. should be I, counseling. I think we, I
0: agree.
2: Mm-hmm. mental health is a big issue in this country as well. Yeah, but yeah, we need to destigmatize. You know, getting help for mental health. Everyone should yeah. be going to counseling. We all have, you know, issues. Yeah. Or you want to talk about it before it becomes an issue as well.
1: Right. Um, so, and then I would also say just use your resources.
2: Mm-hmm. They're out there. And if anything ever does happen to you, um, a number of states have protections. You know, it's unfortunate that you have to be afraid that anything like that might happen. But if you're at all afraid, you know, th- every state, every city has resources that you can look into and, you know, maybe we can post, um, uh, a legal aid or something,
1: for, yeah. um,
2: in the show notes.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I think that, um, I always try and look at it as like, we can get better, we will get better, um, because it can get really disheartening and really the weight can feel really heavy. Mm-hmm. Uh, It does most days feel really heavy, you know, we're recording this and, you know, we woke up this morning or I woke up this morning and I'm reading news about another black man that was shot by police. Mm. Um, And it just doesn't seem to end. And so it it can seem very dismal. But, you know, I see so much good out there um, that you know, I try and focus on that as well and just try and say we we will get better. Uh, yeah. We just got to keep doing the work.
2: And as cliche as it is, you are not alone. <laughs> you just have to, yeah. uh, you know, other people are out there. You might have to look for them a little harder, but you're not alone.
1: Yeah. Uh, we're going to wrap up uh, this discussion because it's been really, it's actually been really great for me. It's been even more encouraging for me than I expected. Um, I really appreciate both you and Nora sharing. Yeah, your I story appreciate, it,
2: um, how willing and open you were to share as well, Nathan.
1: Thanks. Um, we're going to close the same way we always do. Uh, and that is to give some final thoughts and advice, um, kind of just in general. Um, so I would just ask each of you to share, Uh, Let's just share about your hope for the future and um, uh, we'll share about your hope for the future. And I'd also like you to share about what and Savannah, you touched on this a little but about what people can do to make a difference, to get involved, to do something about what we've talked about today. So we'll start with Nora and then we'll go to Savannah and then I'll close this out.
0: Great. So I like to thank both of you also for being so open and honest, sharing both of your experiences. I know I've learned a lot, and you know I'm very inspired by both of you. And um, for hope for the future, I hope that um, you know, like Savannah said, people use their resources, know that you're not alone, and you know, see what they can do. You know, even as like small steps, even within your own company. Um, you know, provide, you know, or just open up this, you know, these discussions like within um, your own company. Nathan, I think you said a few minutes ago
2: that, you know, waking up every day in 2020, it really, it really seems like a dismal affair. Um, mm-hmm. It seems like every day we get more tragic news of, you know, individuals that have been harmed by the police, that have been murdered by the police, or, um you know just individuals that are experiencing rampant racism or hatred for any of their personal characteristics i would say also as i think i said a little bit ago that it seems as though awareness is growing and as painful as it is right now i'm very hopeful that we can all go through a recovery together and start to actually make real change. And I think what people can do in order to do that in their own lives is just to literally look around at their own lives. Resources are everywhere right now. Google anti-racism. Um, so a book I can recommend that I read recently is So You Want to Talk About Race by Ajima Elowu. Um And you can read books or you can just put Anti-racism into Google, and you'll get a slew of articles. There are um, there are resources out there mm-hmm. for at at whatever level you are willing to engage with, or ready to engage with, able to engage with. Um, you know there are groups in your community that are helping. Um, what I think you could do to make real change in you know, your place of business, wherever you are, is ask if there is, is there a diversity and inclusion initiative? Is, is there anything in your company that supports that? If there, if there is, you know, become familiar with it, learn what your company is doing, you know, take your anti-racism learnings to work with you and implement those there. And if there's not one, you know, start having the conversation That's really all you have to do is to start having this conversation and, um, which side note, the way to have that conversation is not to walk up to your black indigenous, uh, person of color, uh, coworker and, you know, ask them how they feel about racism. That is not how to do it. Find some resource resources. If you feel that you, um, need to have a conversation with a person of color in your workplace you need to okay that with them don't ask them to do any more emotional labor as we've said today you know we bring to work with us so much more than you could even imagine so you know the place to start is not asking them to do more work for you um but so those are some resources i would say to go with um and just start having the conversations is really the best thing we can all do right now
1: yeah and i'll close with just saying uh, definitely go back and listen to natalie's podcast if you haven't been able to yet she gives a lot of good thoughts in there on this topic as well and some helpful resources or helpful ideas of what you can do um, one of the things i mentioned during her podcast was just how encouraged i was by the white community that has um, been out there protesting that has given their that have given their um social media accounts to people of color to give them a voice. Um, just the different ways that uh the white community has been rallying around this as well. Um especially this year has been really encouraging. Uh, this year has been really encouraging and so I think that's great. I keep doing that. Um, and one of the really basic things that people can do is if you hear someone say something oh, yes. that is inappropriate, if you hear a joke that is inappropriate, if you hear someone call someone else something, even if they're not in the room, if if they walk away and you hear them say something to them, yes. say something yes. because that's not okay. And if you don't say something, it means that you're agreeing with it or you think it's funny or you think it's okay.
2: Exactly, so. I, would, I would like to 100% you know, uh, support that statement and say that your silence is violence and especially mm-hmm. if you're a white person, it is our job to call it out on other people. Racism is the problem of white people, not of people of color. <laughs>
1: And uh, we will continue to do everything that we can here to um, to inform and to bridge the gap. Um, hence our name, Bridging Chicago. We're just trying to create a bridge between our listeners. So we'll continue to do what we can here. We'll continue to fight. We'll continue to live into who we are and and do that louder and prouder. And so. Again, thank you, Savannah. Thank you, Nora. Um, This has been really, really great. And I appreciate the two of you taking your time to do this. So uh, we hope that you learned something. We hope that you were encouraged and inspired to find your diversity and inclusion committees in your workplaces, in your churches, in your, uh, even just in your house to have these conversations in your own homes. Um, Just know if you are black Brown, any color, any race, any ethnicity, if you are gay, straight, bi, if you are male, female, transgender, any race, any gender, we we do support you. We do care about you. We uh, We are a podcast for everyone because we believe that everyone can do big things. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bridging Chicago as produced by the SATC Solutions Center. under certain conditions and are subject to certain assumptions and may not and should not be used or relied upon for any other purpose, including, but not limited to, or use in or in connection with any investment purposes
2: or legal proceeding.